Welcome to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host, Katrina Van Eyck, and in this episode, I interview an industry professional who has experienced swimming in many environments, from the pool to open water and swimming in ice water. Swimming in these ever-changing environments has given her the opportunity to learn more about the sport and more about herself and what it takes to get out of her comfort zone and succeed. So please extend a big welcome to the podcast for Joy Simons. Joy has over 20 years of international experience in the aquatic industry as an athlete, coach, teacher, presenter, company director and author. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. And as an Australian representative swimmer, Joy developed a successful learn to swim program for her company a qualification and fitness that prepares students for various aquatic sports as well as educates children and parents on water safety. She has written a water safety play for school children called Billabomb Dreaming, a book for parents called Sink or Swim Water Safety and Swimming Lessons Guide for Parents and hosts a podcast for swimming and water safety teachers and managers called The Joy of Aquatics. This aquatic professional is also a marathon and ice swimmer. An inspirational leader in aquatics, Joy was the 2014 and 2019 Queensland Oswim Presenter of the Year, as well as the 2019 National Oswim Presenter of the Year, and was the first female president of the Central Queensland Swimming Association. Through today's episode, Joy shares some insights into her work, as well as her thoughts on swimming and where she sees swimming moving to in the future. So please share the hidden gems you find in Joy's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, and you'll find all her contact details listed at the end of the show notes. If you would like to share your aquatic story, please contact me via my email, regionalswimclinics at outlook.com, and I'd love to share it with our audience. So let's dive in and find out more about Joy's journey in swimming. So Joy, how did you start your journey in swimming? Oh, wow. Back when I was nine years old, my mum lined up my sister or well, two of my sisters and myself at the front door and I didn't want to swim. I wanted to be a pairs figure skater. And mum said, what sport do you guys want to do? And my older sister goes swimming, I'm like ice skating, and my little sister's gone swimming. Um, she's gone, well, Joy, the rink is in one direction and the pool is in the other and I can't go in two different directions. So you swim or you do nothing. And I went okay, I guess I'll swim. <laughs> so that's really how my journey in swimming started. It, mm. Wow, I love it. And to see the experience you've had and the amazing journey you've had in swimming build from the fact that you've done it because your sisters wanted to do it and you had to follow along where you weren't going anything. It's, it's really interesting, actually, because I look back and... You know, Rachel, my older sister, quit from swimming. Or I should should really say retired from swimming quite quickly. And by the time I was 13, my 
my younger sister had done the same. And I'm like, why didn't I ever say I want to go figure skating now? Like what happened along that journey in those first five years or four years that I actually felt like swimming was my only option? Yeah, so it's That's interesting when I look back now, yeah. Yeah, and what was your conclusion? That's a really good thought. Um, I think I think I just felt like I had found a home. I had found a place where I belonged, yeah. Yeah, and to want to do figure skating is, yeah, completely the opposite. Okay, yeah, technically it's still a water sport. It's just the water's frozen. <laughs> and... I've in the last few years started teaching myself to to skate and I am really surprised at how much skating is about the feel of the ice. So swimming, everything is about feeling with your hands, um, but skating, all of a sudden it becomes feeling with your feet. And I just found that really, really interesting when I first took myself skating as an adult because I want to learn to skate now so yeah it's been really cool that's cool you're going full circle with that and I love how you connect everything in your life together like you go through your life experiences and really analyze what you do and then you can pick those points up in something new you do as well and sort of find the likeness to you know the work you've already taken yeah I'm a big fan of drawing inspiration from things that I've I've done to help me learn something new I really do that a lot and my husband will tell everyone that I'm an overthinker and in some cases yes but in many cases I find it really helps me make sense of the new experience or whatever else it is that I'm learning yeah yeah it sort of gives you you know we were talking before the episode but that step into it I suppose and that already you know you've got that understanding that quick relation you can learn a lot quicker than I suppose others who are just throwing themselves in for the first time and got no idea yeah it it just gives me that opportunity to to look at it from I guess a, a perspective of I actually know some of this stuff already you are not an absolute beginner you are fine you will be fine <laughs> carry on <laughs> I love that yeah <laughs> So from getting involved and finding your face in swimming in your family, how did your career in swimming expand from then on? When I was 13, my coach at the time decided to stop coaching and join the police force. And uh, he moved up to Darwin in order to do that. So it was like, well, okay, well, do I keep staying where I am or do I use this as an opportunity to find a new coach and a new program? My mum was working with a number of people who were being coached by Rick Van Zandt at the Yoronga Pool. He'd just moved to Yoronga from AJ's. And I guess they are the ones that encouraged mum to, to take me to Yoronga and give it a try. And that's what happened. So once I was there, everything just sort of expanded and, and kept growing and moving forward and really started to, to roll. That's brilliant. And then you continued on and you've become a swim teacher and you were an elite athlete as well in your swimming. Can you tell us a bit about that career and how you went in your as an elite athlete and then also then into swim teaching and owning your business? Yeah, being an elite athlete was 
that was tough. That was really, really tough. People say to me, oh, I was a swimmer. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, okay. (laughs) And, yeah, it's it's something that is kind of painful to look upon because it, it really wasn't easy. Um, but at the same time, I've I've had some really wonderful experiences come from it, which I'm, I know I'm very blessed to have. I probably, I, well, I know I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. So there's there's been a lot of a lot of pain associated around my um, my elite swimming life. But over the last five, ten years, I've been doing a lot of healing, so it's definitely a lot easier to talk about and be able to look at that in a different light. And have a different perspective on all of that, which is oh, such a relief because <laughs> going through it is really hard. And a lot of swimmers, uh, and we didn't realize at the time, but a lot of us that were going through the sport at that time together, we were depressed. So, you know, mum said to me at one point, why don't you teach swimming as a way to earn some money while, you know, while you're training? And I'm like, oh, no. Why do I want to be in the water any longer than I have to be? No way. But looking back at it now, now that I have become a swimming teacher, I'm like, that would have made me such a better swimmer. Having a lot more understanding about how my body moves in the water. So I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't do it sooner. But at the same time, you know, your head's probably not, well, my head certainly wasn't in the right space to be working with, with children at that point in time but yeah I I swam for Australia I went to world champs short course in Athens in 2000 competed okay for having just had knee surgery so that was all right but then missed the Olympic team when we got back we came back from that and, and I think we went to age nationals and then open nationals which was Olympic trials so missed the Olympic team and and of course that was always the goal and with it being in Sydney, and it, it, yeah, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, um, you know, you take some time off, you pull yourself together again, and you go again. And 2002 Com Games uh, trials came around, and they were in Brisbane. I was swimming faster than I'd ever swum before. I was so ready. My body was ready. Had to have a flu shot two weeks before nationals, and I just got sick. I got really, really sick. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. They thought I had Ross River fever. And then two weeks later, it turns out I actually did have Ross River fever and ended up in the hospital. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that pretty much stopped my competitive swimming in Australia. Chronic fatigue, depression. I was really not in a good way after that. I really struggled to come back. I left Brisbane where I was living and where I'd always lived and grown up and I went out to Toowoomba and I was swimming out there with Darren Lang's team and I was working and studying and starting to get myself back together but I never really swam back at the level that I was at and from there I got a scholarship to the University of Hawaii and I finished off my degree and swam over there didn't swim anywhere near as fast as I should have I just really sort of plodded through and used my skills, I guess, to, to pay for the rest of my degree. And I met Val, who was a swimming coach. I won't go too much into that story. 
but that's a good story, but it's a long one. And, you know, we spent some time coaching in America. We spent time in Europe and it came back to Australia and I'm like, well, I've got my degrees, but I couldn't get work with them. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Uh, so I went and did my swim course. And the next thing I know, we're running our own swim school. Yeah. So, you know, my, my life has always been something to do with swimming and education, whether I'm doing the learning or, I mean, well, I'm always learning, but, you know, once we, once we opened the swim school, it became about other people's learning and, and really stepping into that teacher role, which was, I don't know, it just felt like a natural progression. So I kind of feel like the world just guided me into doing this without me really ever having a good say about what I wanted and what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. I just sort of fell into everything. Yeah. So it's like it just took the bull by the horns itself and did it for you. Yep. Ah, Yep. Said, hurry up, Joy, you're not going to do it, so I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's been really interesting since then because now I'm like, um, how did I get here? Yeah. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? I never wanted to swim in the first place. So now I'm starting to actually take control of my life and make really conscious choices about what I want and where I'm going and who I want to be. I don't regret any of it. I'm not saying I want to go back and do it again because some of it was really hard. (laughs) But I'm now like I'm at this place in my life where I'm like, what do you want, Joy? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do with your life? It's time. It's time for you to start choosing and putting your stamp on you, being you. Yes, so. you come out yourself. And I think that's really good. I think we all sort of reach that time where, like you said, we sort of just go through life and go through the journey and then we realise, is it us? Have we done what we want? And I really think that's great because you're at a perfect time to be able to expand on that and to be able to develop you and see who you want to be and where you want to take it. And you've had such fantastic and a broad experience. I mean, especially because you you do things with open water swimming, you do things with your ice swimming and your swimming in the snow and the bloody... (laughs) I think that just, it's the accumulation of your whole experience. You're not, you know, just seeing it. As the high-performance athlete, you've then gone and done it as the swim school and the teacher and got that side, the education, and then you're not just seeing it as a pool swimmer, you're seeing it as all aspects. I think that's fantastic to be able to bring that into your yeah. job and then yeah. what it takes you. Yeah, I really love that meme. There's a meme that's out where it's like the pool swimmers and they're dressed like, I don't know, like royalty, and then there's the open-water swimmers and they're, you know, they're quite daggy and then they've got the ice swimmers that are like full punk and they've got the punk hair and all that. And I resonate with, with all three of those levels. Expansion <laughs> through, you go through one, you go into the other. Yeah. 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 I always sit back and I watch your journey as, you know, we're friends on Facebook and develop the friendship. And I think just seeing what you're doing and how you're expanding on that and how, you develop on your journey and the life experience you get out of. And I listened to, you've done your ABC radio interview or podcast about your journey and the ice swimming. 
I think just, you know, understanding that side of it and how it made you learn more about yourself. I think that's cool. And there are those different stages. We are all different swimmers. And I think sometimes when you're stuck in a pool, you think that's it. But yeah, yeah. get out and experience the other side of it is amazing. Yeah. And that's that's what I thought for such a long time. And I think I've I've always loved swimming, but I don't think I truly understood the passion that you can have for a sport until I went to the Cook Islands in 2018. So Shelley Duyer, who runs the pool in Yeronga, where I grew up, um, she took a group of people over to the Cook Islands with her and that was when I really first started to experience open water swimming to in a, in a place where I felt safe and could relax into it like I've done open water swimming throughout my swimming career Rick made us do it I had to do it when I was in Hawaii it's just scared the shit out of me (laughs) oh it was just it was too much but there was something about being at the Cook Islands that made me really fall in love with my sport for the first time and not just love my sport but there, there was something different about that that really changed me. So really starting to get into open water swimming from there, it just felt like the right thing to do and to progress my, I guess, my own swimming. Yeah. And I think also in those situations, you learn more about how to swim, how the body works in water that it just expands and then you know brings it back to your pool water swimming and and then also you know ice swimming you have to really take that on board and go into yourself to be able to channel and continue with that and push through those barriers so that again would help with any pool swimming you do because it's going to push you through you know well if you can do it in the ice you can do it in a bloody warm pool yeah for sure the ice swimming just taught me so much more about myself as a person and that really is one of the the highlights of my my career yeah yeah I think we need to um do ice swimming with our younger kids or with the elite athletes as they go <laughs> I think it would be really interesting to see how elite athletes respond to it there's no way I would have done it I would be like nah nah Mm-mm, not doing it <laughs> and and that was that was how I felt about even open water swimming at, at the height of my career oh no no can't do it won't do it so it, it would be really interesting to see how some of these elite athletes go with it because there's there's so much more to it than just getting into cold water there's all the meditation all the breath work and those are the things that I think that set aside the most elite of our elite athletes, the ones that go the extra mile and don't just turn up to training and don't just do good eating, but they train their mind with meditation. They train their breath, not just with the hypoxic work that they do when they're in the pool, but they train their breath in different ways as well. I have Right now, not okay, not right now, but let's go two weeks ago before I had two weeks out of the water. (laughs) I am in a stronger place than what I ever was as an athlete. My mind 
and my body is capable of handling so much more than what I ever did as an elite athlete because I now train all of my systems, not just swimming and gym, but the meditation, the breath work that's that's separate. So it's not just a breathing meditation, like the, the two separate things plus the ice work that I'm doing. I feel like now fully rounds me out as an athlete that I never had when I was elite an elite athlete when I was younger. I feel like it was swim, gym, circuit training, swim, gym, circuit training, swim, gym, circuit training in, in different orders so that, you know, your full week rounded out. But now I, I understand so much more about my body, my mind and the way training works. Yeah, that's really cool to come, be able to come full circle and to do that. And to also, I suppose, how you said, you know, when you were an elite swimmer, to look at open water and go, oh, I don't want to do that. And then you've had so many achievements in that. And now you you and Val together work on swimming around Great Keppel Island and bring that to a lot more other people and give them the experience, whether it be beginners or you know, people that have been swimming in a while for a while on open water. I think that's really cool that you've taken that and you've gone full circle with that as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really feel like my my swimming journey is you know I'm a beginner in many aspects I'm still a beginner ice swimmer I'm still a beginner marathon swimmer so it's it's nice to be able to come back to something as a beginner in in something that I know really well so even though I've been swimming since I was nine I'm still a beginner in many aspects of the sport which is lovely that's cool. I love it. To always feel and to be that learner and mm, advantage. Definitely. Learning. Yeah. yeah. So you've talked about your amazing experiences in the water and what you've developed. Has there been one big lesson you've learned in your journey or is there a number of smaller lessons you've learned? The biggest lesson for me throughout my entire journey and I was telling you before well before we even started speaking today that you you might get a few tears here because (laughs) so Katrina emailed me the question she was going to ask me last night so I've, I've been thinking about this and you've really helped solidify my whole swimming journey lesson and everything in regards to swimming that the lesson that I really struggled to learn as an elite swimmer was self-confidence and I did not solidify that lesson until my ice mile and my ice mile was although it was only 30 something minutes it was every moment of my swimming career replayed in my mind from being just in the training pool, really confident, which I was when I was in the freezer. I was really confident in the freezer, but you put me in the lake, which was like putting me in the competition pool. Uh, I melted. I, I, I melted in, in ice water. <laughs> I, I, I fell apart. Like my mind completely fell apart. And I have watched back the video that Val took of me recovering from my ice mile. So he, he, he put his phone or he put, he put some type of camera up on the dashboard 
And it was really hard to watch all of that back because I, the recovery is the most painful part of, of an ice mile. But it was just self-confidence. The lesson that I came away from that is you need to be confident in yourself. And it's not about being arrogant. It's not about being the best. It's not about being the fastest. Self-confidence is about knowing you have done your best to be able to put your best foot forward on that day. Yeah. Whether it's Olympic trials or an ice mile or whatever it is in your life that you are doing on that day when you know you want to perform well, knowing that you have done everything to the best of your ability to be the best that you can on that day. That is self-confidence. And I didn't understand that was my lesson and I understand that was my lesson now and I'm still working on that even when I get in the training pool because and and I'll test myself I'll go into a training session I'm like I'm feeling like shit I don't think I'm going to do so well today I'll go okay well if you were in open water and you started to panic about sharks and I'll put myself into that feeling of panicking about sharks and I'll watch my times go from being really decent times to just terrible times just making the time cycle so that shows me that my mind is my most powerful ally when it comes to being confident in doing what I'm doing so I'm continually showing myself even in the training sessions that I'm doing currently but that eye smile really solidified for me that you need to be confident in who you are. You need to believe in who you are and believe in yourself and just let that be, let the rest of it go. The rest of it doesn't matter. Just be you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing to think now that you're going through that journey in your own personal life as well, that, you know, who are you, what you want to do and who do you want to be? And, you know, what do you want to achieve personally? It's ever expanding. I think it's also ever developing as you go through the different stages in your life, where you are, you've got kids as well. Where are they? What are they wanting to achieve? And then looking forward to, you know, when they're adults and they're off on their own, where do you sit in your life? You know, after that, it amazes me to think the amount that you've achieved in your life so far. And I look back and go, wow, what she's done is absolutely mind blowing and amazing to sort of think that even you still go through those steps of, you know, where am I, what am I doing, what do I want to be, Um, and it's forever changing. Yeah. Alina Graham said to me quite a few years ago now, if you can achieve that much in an industry that you actually didn't want to be a part of, imagine what you can achieve in an industry that you've always wanted to be a part of. Yeah. And I, I continually come back to that and I go, okay, all right, I got this. I'm just going to yes. keep forward, keep moving forward. I'm going to keep swimming, <laughs> just keep swimming and just keep learning. It is just so important. And no, no matter what people do in their career or in their life, just keep learning Yeah. because as soon as we stop learning, that's when the arrogance sets in. Yeah. That's when, it's, that's when self-confidence becomes arrogant. Yeah. I mean, never a finished product. I mean, we can't ever be because 
we always get new things around us, like the pandemic. That's right. You know, like there's always something there. We're never that finished product. But it's interesting to see where the finished product or how it develops on the journey. Um, and to be able to look back every now and then and go, oh, yeah, I actually did do stuff. Like I actually did a really good job of my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. And you're definitely influencing people on the way because I look at you and I go, man, to be able to just do any of that would be. <laughs> Here I am thinking of moving up to your poon and scared of getting into the open water. And I think to see you and I think, oh, well, at least I'll have her there that I can go, oh, I want to be like Toy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Sometimes I think nobody should be following what I'm doing because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just oh. trying to figure it out like everyone else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think you've also got to always think about those people that are behind that, you know, you're that couple steps ahead and they're drawing on that journey as well. I think that's fantastic that to be able to see that you can influence people. I really love it. And I, so I'll link this into the show notes at the end with your journey and your experience on your ABC podcast interview that you did and hearing about and I think they really linked in especially with a lot of the auditory stuff they put in there and um, which I think they probably took from Val's videos but your experience during the I smile and I think that just solidified exactly what you're saying so anyone gets the opportunity to listen to that I recommend that they do because it's definitely mind-blowing. Has there been, again, one highlight or a number of highlights in your swimming journey so far? I would say, look, people always expect me to say that the highlight is definitely Swimming for Australia. And, yes, it is one of them. But I think having the opportunity to live overseas, which is where I met Val, that is a huge, huge thing for my life. If I hadn't met Val you know, I don't know where I'd be or what I'd be doing. I maybe wouldn't have, you know, my kids that I have right now and I can't imagine my life without them. But the next, you know, major highlight would definitely be my ice mile. It just really helped me solidify my entire swimming career. It has probably been one of the most profound things that I've done in a really long time. It's really deeply affected me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's and something like that. I mean, I don't think we understand what fully goes into it and the preparation that you had to do beforehand. I think it's mind blowing that, you know, I swim and they talk about ice swimming, about being really good for mental health and developing you as a person. I think it just what you've experienced really solidifies that. And it's great that you've been able to document on that on the way as well. Yeah, like I'm still getting in the ice water now. So, you know, we're nearly 12 months on and I'm still ice training. I love it. I don't ever want to go a week of my life when I don't have it because it is so good for your mental health. Like I've just had nearly two weeks off because I've been in Brisbane and I haven't had my freezer. And I sat in two degrees this morning for four minutes and I cried because it hurt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, a couple of weeks off really does throw you. It throws you mentally, emotionally and physically. 
so getting back in, I, I, I had an emotional release this morning because, you know, I'm trying to control my breathing. Everything about when you get into the water is about keep your breathing relaxed. But the only way I was going to be able to control my breathing this morning was if I cried. So I let the tears come. And, you know, there's a lot of people that say they have emotional releases when they're in the cold water. I reckon when I have them, you can feel them come out of different parts of your body. Like I didn't realise that I stored trauma in my triceps. And today I felt like it came out of my lats. So it was it was really interesting after having a couple of weeks off to go through that and go, oh, wow, I'm still actually releasing things. I'm still learning about my body 12 months down the track and uh, when I'm when I'm still doing ice training like it's yes. yeah I I highly recommend it. I reckon everyone should do it <laughs> yeah well I've had a few friends around here one of my Dutch friends she, she's been in Australia for quite a number of years now and she started doing it and I was like you've got to talk to Joy or follow Joy's experience because she's had a massive experience out of it and my friend, she went through breast cancer and she said it, it made a big difference for her yeah. experience. Yeah. I have a Dutch friend that had breast cancer too. Oh, do you? Is her name Heidi? Henrika. <laughs> oh, but that's brilliant. Wow, there you are. We have lots in common. We do. It's crazy. <laughs> I bet you they do too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I need to, I think we need to design a bath or a freezer that's easy to get in and out of and then I'll join you with it when I'm up there. They do have a couple of, I think they're called plunge pools that are available on the market for commercial use. Yeah. But they don't go below three degrees. So (laughs) I don't want one. I'm like, that doesn't get cold enough, but you can heat it up as well so it can be hot and cold. Yeah. Well, I have to admit, I'm moving from Victoria to Queensland because I'm sick of the cold. So <laughs> three degrees would probably be good for me. I'm up. <laughs> I know I'd love to try. I think it's amazing just the journey you've gone on and the, yeah, just to learn that self-confidence because that's something I think I lack in a lot. And to be able to get the determination to do something, to stick to it and really put myself and immerse myself in it, I think would be amazing to see what I get out of it and how I can relate that to the rest of my yeah. life. Well, yeah. yeah. You've spoken about a number of people in your life already. Is there anyone that played a big role in your journey and developing who you are? Well, everyone I have met along the road has somehow done something for me. But I guess my when you sent the questions through to me last night my initial reaction was Karen Hunt yes my parents had a big deal my my swim at my sisters had a big deal in shaping who I am obviously my coach Val has really helped shape me as an adult and helped me deal with so much of of my previous trauma but I, I when when you ask that question and my initial reaction was, Karen, you've really forced me into thinking, well, what is it about Karen? Why did Karen have such an influence over my life? And like when I, when I was an elite athlete, I, Karen and I 
sometimes had a great relationship, sometimes we didn't. And I'm, I'm not sure how much of that was in my head. I know she was my training partner from 13 years old. When I first moved over to Yeronga, I didn't like her. I don't think she liked me to start with. I could see her staring at me through through her goggles, through her Black Max eyeline goggles. I'm like, I can see you're looking at me. <laughs> and I think for a long time that relationship was really strained. And I always think about why. Why did I have that relationship with Karen? And over the last 24 hours, I've realised that Karen was always so unapologetically herself. Ah. And she was always so confident in who she was. And I always admired that in her, but I also found it really intimidating because I didn't know who I was. And Karen and I actually had a lot of similar interests and I steered away from them because I didn't want people to think I'm trying to be like her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I look back, I'm like, you're an idiot. You're an absolute idiot, Joy. Like, what the heck? But I think Karen was really put in my life to help me, to help guide and show me the type of person that I should be. Yeah. And going to cry because I don't think I've ever told her this. Um, and to really challenge me to be who I am. And I've only just figured that out. (laughs) Like I've just now figured that out in the last 24 hours. I'm like, oh, well, duh, dipshit. Come on, everyone. Like, so, you know, it would be really nice to know what I know now and go back to those times with Karen. Like more than anyone Karen understands exactly what training was like for me she was there every training session every step of the way you know we joking used to come to our pool and and coach us every now and again she knows what those sessions were like what the distance sessions were like we would quite often be called in early on a Saturday morning to do five one thousands before the rest of the squad even got there we were called in on Tuesday mornings when everyone else was sleeping in. Karen and I are doing these extra training sessions together. So more than anyone, Karen knows what I went through yeah. and I know what she went through. So I, I feel like there's a connection there that is really strong. And we've caught up as adults and I don't, we've never really talked about this type of stuff. And I have to admit, I don't think I've actually seen her in years, but she really did have a big influence on me as a kid. And I really admire the person that she was and the person that she has become. And I've enjoyed watching her story and how she has flourished as a human being and and as a mum and the connections that she has with other women there are many things that she has that I think oh I wish I could have that but then I go actually that's very her that's not very me so it makes me go I'm really happy for her to have that which is which is really nice 
and and I I do miss having that kind of relationship with a with a training partner. My training partners these days are Val and Fiona, and they have a a very good training relationship. And obviously, my my relationship with Val is very different to what I have with Fiona. But Karen and I just went through so many things that were really hard. And we went through them at the same time. We both did year 11 and 12 over three years. We were both called in for extra training sessions. You know, we both trained with the same people. So I, I do feel like I have a really strong connection to her, even though we've, we, we don't really, well, we don't see each other as adults. We're Facebook friends and, you know, we'll comment on each other's photos every now and again, but but that's it really. So I guess I want to say to Karen, thank you. Yeah, thank you for being in my life. And I know our relationship wasn't always perfect. We weren't always, I, I wouldn't say we were even close friends. We were definitely friends, but I wouldn't say we were, you know, chummy, chummy, you know, really tight friends she's definitely got friends that she's a lot closer to and she's still really close to them which is really great to see but thank you for being my partner through all of that because it wasn't easy and I know I didn't do it alone even though I always felt like I did I didn't yes so looking back it's really nice to know that someone else went through it too someone else knows what we went through I guess thank you for challenging me to be myself. And although I didn't realise it then, I get it now and I will be myself. Wow. To think to think back now and to have that realisation and that journey and to be able to understand that whole experience. I think, one, we need to get her on the podcast and she needs to do an interview and we'll get her side. <laughs> but I think also you need to catch up and you have a chat about it, you know, even if it's on Zoom. Yeah. I think, yeah. You just I, I, have that I think so. We did try and catch up a couple of couple of times ago when I tried to come into Brisbane and it just it just didn't work out. And yeah, so it's it's really interesting to look back at the, the dynamics of what that relationship was and go, oh, wow, a lot of that, well, 90% of that was me in my head. I always thought she was a bitch. <laughs> not, well, not always. And I've said that to an adult. Like we went, we were, we both had time in England as adults and we caught up over there and I was like, oh, Karen, you were such a bitch. And she's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and, and what I've realised is that I was too. I was, as well, I was not a great teenager. I think there are some people on our team, every second time I spoke to them, I swear I told them to F off. I was horrible. I was absolutely horrible. But she she was just so unapologetically herself and I so admire her for that because it shows me that's what I want to be. I want to be unapologetically myself like she was. It was hard to be around when you don't know who you are, you don't know what you stand for, you don't 
or you know what you want, but you're too afraid to say it because you're worried about what everyone else is going to think. But she just set such an amazing example, which is why I feel like I thought she was always a bitch, but she wasn't. She was just herself. She was just so beautifully herself. But me being a teenager, I couldn't see that and I couldn't understand that. But now I get it and I'm so thankful that I was able to witness that. And, And the people she attracted around her, her closest friends, they're exactly the same. So it's so good to be able to see that all of these people are still friends and they all hang out and and I watch from the Facebook distance and I'm like, you know what? There's my inspiration. That's right. But I I love it and I'm so thankful for it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such amazing. <laughs> that's so cool um, to go through that journey and I think... Yeah, I, I think that's just amazing to understand that now. And, you know, she might not be that connection for you. She's that inspiration. You will find that connection with people and yourself in, you know, many different ways. And I think you've got such a long part of your journey to go that I think you, there will be so many opportunities out there for you to stand out and to be you. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing it highlights is generally when, when I'm having an issue with someone, when I'm not getting on with someone, when I'm really frustrated with someone, when I feel really misunderstood, quite often it's a mirror. Mm. What am I frustrated at? I'm, they maybe have something or are displaying a trait that I haven't developed yet and I'm wanting to develop that. So it's been really helpful and that I guess that's sort of something that I've been learning over probably the last three months is that when I'm having an issue with someone or I'm getting really upset with someone's behaviour, I've shown that behaviour in the past and I don't like it or I know I have the tendency to show the exact same behaviour and I don't like it. So quite <laughs> often it's not about the other person at all. It's about me and what's happening within me. So, you know, the perceptions that I had around Karen when I was younger, they are just a reflection of how I perceived myself. So I'm really, really thankful that she was a part of my life and that, you know, she went through those experiences with me because they they weren't easy and I'm sure I made them harder. (laughs) Sorry, Karen. (laughs) So you've got to give yourself some credit. You know, like you said, you were you, you were a teenager, and teenagers have always got to push the boundaries. And you know, we don't know who we are. We think we do, but we don't. And then you know, the the trials and tribulations of a elite athlete, the normal experiences of an elite athlete, of injuries and everything else that goes with it, and the fact that you said, you know, a lot of you had depression and where your head was at and the other stresses that you have in life, I think that's a normal experience for someone at that stage. And I think there's a lot we can't, we wish we could understand. There's a lot of those at that stage that we can't understand and we have to go through a certain journey to get there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is a journey. 
yeah, to look back and go, damn, I wish I knew that. But I think, you know, there was no way you can understand or know that stuff. Me, Patsy, and I look at my daughter now and I think, you know, this stuff I tell her when she's gotten a lot better, but she was suffering with her high anxiety for a while. And I was sort of developing now and going, you know, learning and the same thing, learning and building myself through those experiences now at 37. And I'm trying to teach it to her and I have to keep reminding myself that she's nine. How do you put it to a nine-year-old? Nine years old don't understand what I understand at 37. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's not about the destination, is it? It really is about the the ride. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that time to sit back and think about it and then where do you go from there? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you can ask me these questions in 10 years' time and I'm sure I'll give you totally different answers. Yeah, that's right. I'll do that. <laughs> we might not record it, but we'll do it. <laughs> Calendar. Yeah. So you've already given so much advice and I think there's a lot to learn on your journey and what you've been through and what you're looking to do in the future. But is there any other advice you would give to a new swim teacher or coach coming into the industry? Yep. If you're a new swimming teacher, plan, 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 and keep planning your lessons and don't throw them out because they'll be good for a different class somewhere along the way. But I always have found that the swimming teachers that spend 12 months writing out detailed lesson plans become the best teachers. They understand the objective. They understand exactly why they are doing each particular skill. And one activity may be used for 10 different objectives, but it's why are you pulling that activity out of your toolbox right now to use with these particular kids yeah so knowing what you are doing and why you are doing it is my biggest piece of advice for new swimming teachers and the way you get to knowing what you're doing and why you are doing it is by planning and actually taking the time to sit down put pen to paper write out the kids names think about each one of those kids For a swimming coach, I guess my advice would be share your passion, share your love. And I guess it it does go for for teachers as well, but share your love of the sport because the more you share your love of the sport, the more people will want to be involved with it. The more passionate you are, the more people, people will be attracted to what you do and want to join you. So if you're losing your passion for coaching, take some time out. If you find yourself getting, I mean, there are always times you're going to have those ebb and flows, but if you're feeling really disheartened with it and not wanting to be there and you realise you're only doing more damage, walk away for a period of time. But just share your passion. Yeah. I love those really good points. And that was something I learned as a swim teacher myself. And I became that type that was, I loved to wing a lesson. I found that a lot better for me for a, a, a time 
But then I felt I was lacking in that progression. I didn't see so much progression in the swimmers that I would say, have an idea of what I wanted to work on in a lesson and a main objective, but the rest around, I'd sort of just fill in while we're doing it. And then I realized pretty quick that there was no follow through. And I think when I was teaching with my swim school, you know, we only had eight weeks or eight lessons. So you have to cram a lot in that short time. And for kids, you know, sometimes that and a school, a couple of weeks of school swimming lessons was all that they had for the year. And it really made me notice that I was lacking that progression. I wasn't moving them through. And then I went back to planning it out more and I noticed that there was a big development and a big push that we're actually getting up and moving through. And I think definitely sharing that passion, why are you there as a coach? Why are you turning up? And why are you then expecting your swimmers to turn up and do those coaching sessions? Because passion is going to be the thing that if they're determined to continue, it's going to be one of the main reasons why they're still there later. That's right. And sometimes you see coaches that don't want to go and learn or teachers that don't want to go and learn and progress their own knowledge. But if you don't go and progress your own knowledge, you're not, I guess, setting the example that you are passionate about what you're doing. So I I do think it's really important that you attend the conferences, you attend those networking events where you can go and learn because if you're truly passionate about what you're doing, you want to go and learn more. Yeah. And also it was a big experience for me seeing Dean Boxhill with his experience at the Tokyo Olympics and how the passion came out in his coaching and his experience but also how that and how Tidmus actually, I suppose, pushed herself a bit more for the fact that she knew Dean was so passionate about her and her swimming and her career. Um, You know, like a lot of the time, you know, we're saying to swimmers, do it for yourself. But if you make that connection with the swimmer and you build that passion, then they're also going to do a lot of it for you as well. Yep, they will. So I'm excited for your answer on this question. Okay. (laughs) What does swimming look like for you in the future? It looks like a hobby. Yeah. Swimming for me looks like a means to stay fit and healthy and something I'm passionate about that I do outside of work. It's a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I feel like it's going to entwine in your life a lot more than what you think. Yeah. I think it will. But for right now, if I think of it as a hobby, it will help me invite the other aspects of my life in that I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also different. I think a different swimming too and a different experience in it, you know, not the coach, not the athlete, not the teacher, not the business owner. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's something about it's just going to be a different experience. I think I don't know yeah. whether I'm coming yeah. off track. But yeah. No, no, you're, you're right. It's, it's just going to be joy in the water. Yeah. Joy. Yeah. Joy enjoying the water. Joy is joy of the water. Yeah. Yeah. It's the joy of aquatics. (laughs) 
<laughs> God, I love that business name. How can we as individuals and also an industry promote and develop learn to swim and competitive swimming to encourage more participants and to build the industry? And is there a way we can be creative in that and to do it with less funding? Okay, this is a big one. <laughs> she's on, she's on a soapbox, let's go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, well, firstly, I think the industry needs to stop promoting or looking for swimming teachers out of university students. Swimming teachers are the ones that have the first experiences with kids in the water and we have an opportunity to teach them a passion for the sport or hate the sport. We can teach them to love the water for life or we can push them into competition swimming. But swimming teachers, I think, have a really big responsibility in developing passion in their students. And if we can develop passion for the water, not just for competition swimming, I think that is a really good place to start. So how do we develop passion for the water? Well, we need to start with people who are passionate about the water in the first place. And a university student who's studying nursing or studying teaching, do they have passion for the water and are they going to stay in the industry longer than three years? Typically, swimming teachers in the country last three years and that's not good enough. We need more teachers who are going to stick around for a lot longer who can really share their passion in the water. And I, I want to say if we fix that problem, then the rest of the problems will tend to get smaller. I'm not a fan of promoting competition swimming, but I understand that there is a need for that. I do see the depth of our swimmers waning at times, and I think, again, it comes back to learn to swim. How much do our coaches get involved in the Learn to Swim programs? Sometimes I think it's too much. Sometimes I think it's not enough. I think that there needs to be good education of teachers who can teach a Learn to Swim stroke versus a competition stroke. Kids, they're not the same shape. They're not the same strength. They don't have the same coordination levels. They can't be expected to have perfect competition swimming strokes coming out of the top end of Learn to Swim. I think some of those coaches doing junior squad need to be taught the skills of developing that fine motor control. So Learn to Swim teachers, I believe, should teach things that work for the shape coordination and the developmental stages of those swimmers can kids do butterfly at the ages of five six seven yes they can does it look like what they're going to be able to do at 16 17 and into elite swimming no so I think that connection with our junior squad coaches needs to be well what have the swimming teachers produced what do our senior coaches want how do I be that bridge and how do I still produce and show the kids that I'm passionate about what I'm doing so I think there's there's work to be done there a lot of the junior 
coaches that I've seen in the last few years get that and they get that really well, which is really, really good. What I am seeing, though, is head coaches and senior coaches having a lot to do with what the final product of Learn to Swim should be. And I don't agree with that. I think there's too much fine motor control coming on and it it sets a lot of those kids up for failure and they're leaving because they're not feeling the success, because they're not going, yeah, I can do butterfly. If they were taught a learn to swim butterfly, they'd be like, yeah, I'm awesome at butterfly. This is great. But because they're they're being taught this really Olympic type stroke or they're expected to look like that and they don't a lot of kids feel failure and they're dropping out of the learn to swim programs before they progress into junior squad and I think that's a big place where the industry needs to work keep those head coaches out of the top end of learn to swim use those junior coaches as a bridge between learn to swim and all those senior coaching roles I definitely think start with finding the right people to come into the industry so they're going to stay longer. But in in terms of the water safety with less funding, we need to be getting the arts involved. Mm. How do how do a lot of people learn about things like through the arts, through music, through dance, through TV shows, through plays, through song? I think the arts is really, really important for what we do. And I think if we can start to implement that more within the industry, we will see a lot of benefits moving through. Uh, Shannon Townsend in, and I just caught up with Shannon last week, actually. She was in Brisbane with water polo state titles like I was. You know, she's on the ukulele making up songs and singing and, the more we can encourage that, the more plays we have written, the more storybooks that are out there, I think that is a really good way to, I mean, the arts gets lots of funding. Water safety funding gets tied up with four or five main groups and a lot of other organisations don't get access to that. But let's start tapping into the arts. I mean, I know, you know I've written Billable Dreaming, the play, and there's a song that goes with it. I think the more we get involved in that, the easier it will be to get information out to people. And, you know, like you showed me a book that that you've written yourself and it's something that I've put on Facebook when we had our own swim school. When kids are taught to swim, it's not just that they can go into competition swimming. It's that, they yes, they can snorkel, they can scuba dive they can go water skiing they can be on a a jet ski more safely and know how to handle themselves if they come off when the person turns a corner really fast because you know that's the fun thing to do (laughs) they can do diving they can do synchronized swimming they can do all of these other water sports once they have learnt to swim and that is what teaching kids the passion about being in the water is all about you find the right teachers to come into the industry that will stay for longer than three years and teach passion because they themselves have passion and they model it, that's the key. Yeah. You have touched on so many amazing points there. 
I think we need to do another 20 episodes on just, you know, those two points. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much expanded. Yes, connecting. And a lot of coaches I've spoken to have said building that connection and, you know, um, Ron Taylor, Ian Pope, the Asta crew, all those have said build that connection between this Learn to Swim and your competitive club. If you're not connected with Learn to Swim, any of those Learn to Swimmers around your area, to be able to pass them through and connect with them. But I think, like you said, making that yeah, high performance coaches need to be high performance coaches. You need to build that gap and have that junior swimmer. That's really interesting because it's something I've always thought, but never actually pinpointed on the fact that there is yeah, that Learn to Swim style. And then there's that competitive style and we can't expect an eight-year-old to be swimming like a 16-year-old. You've only got to put a photo of an eight-year-old and a 16-year-old side by side to realise the way their bodies work in the water is totally different. Yeah. Totally different. And a stroke is going to look completely different, the size of their head in comparison to the rest of their body. The way their body works in the water with their buoyancy, resistance, propulsion, all of those principles of movement in water on an eight-year-old is totally different to a 16-year-old, which is why we have junior squads. But I still see a lot of those competitive swimming clubs expecting kids to come out of Learn to Swim looking perfect. And I think that is where competitive swimming is on the downfall because they come out that is where kids aren't feeling successful so they never make it to junior squad because they're just not feeling successful but how skilled are our junior squad coaches to go this is what learn to swim stroke looks like as you grow and develop and age this is what we need to get you looking like so they don't go in head first and make all of these changes to a fine motor control it's gradual yeah and I think that's the thing like teaching kids you know what they've learned to learn to swim and then they go into a competitive club because they're interested and then suddenly they're bombarded with no you're not you need to do this and they're like crap I can't handle this yeah a very very good point yeah it's really hard thing to do really well is to have those programs that step them through gently yeah it is really hard to do that really well yeah I love your idea of connecting with the arts and connecting the passion in other ways I think definitely like you said we need to get teachers that are in the industry that are building that journey because I think after about four years you actually start realizing what you're doing and what you're giving to the industry and then they drop off and go away so to be able to continue, and that's when you start thinking you have enough confidence, as we've talked about, to be able to, you know, doing a bit more, be able to experiment, understanding why you're doing these things. And if we just keep getting these people in, it's throwing off that balance a lot. I think, sorry, the university kids have a lot to bring, but I think we still need that continuous person in there because just keep throwing that balance off. You're just in a state of constant training. As a business owner, you are forever training up new staff. And I reckon it takes them about 12 months to get really good. You then have 12 months where they're really good at their job. And then the next 12 months, they're like, well, I'm leaving. So I don't really care. And you get the back end of this, well, it's kind of half-assed attitude. And I just, 
you're, you're constantly recruiting your, well, you should be constantly training anyway, but it makes it really hard to have that consistency in your swim school when you've got this really high turnover. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And yeah, you just haven't got that balance. And, and like you said, there's so many different stages in a, you know, uni student's life. And I suppose in their working environment, they're not looking to continue in it. Just definitely it's something. And I think if we can have those people in, they put more passion and they put more interest into their work and they're more willing to give different things a go. It's just a matter of finding them. Yes. Building that difference, I think, like you said, we learn and kids learn through songs. Yeah, we always say in the industry, kids learn through songs and repetition and what they see out in the world. And if we're not modelling that in our industry, and we're not giving them those opportunities to see that. And I know there are people out there that are and they're trying their best to break through. But I think there's a lot of people like yourself that have that talent and have that knowledge. And I think we need to back a lot more people to experiment. And it's something I'm thinking for me, I see that we're not getting that engagement. You know, we're throwing them into learn to swim. And I think we're pushing the message, which is a good message that you need to learn to swim to save your life. But I think there's a lot more in it that we can develop and use. And I think by getting into the arts and those other opportunities in the education, it's going to build another level to it and another passion to it. Yeah. You've just touched on something, remind me something that I've been really passionate about in the past. And I don't agree with a lot of the marketing that swim schools do all the time. When we market swimming lessons from a place of fear all the time it really stops parents seeing the full potential of what kids can achieve from learn to swim so I'm not saying don't tell people that it's a life-saving skill and and that it can save their lives and we don't want the kids to drown. look we don't want the kids to drown that's true but at the same time we want kids to be passionate about the water so Mm -hmm. if All we're doing is marketing to parents, you know, teach your kids to swim or they'll drown or, you know, it's a really negative backwards way of coming in to learn to swim. And I think we've seen that a lot over the last 20 years. And I've spoken to a lot of marketing professionals over the last sort of five years and they they can't wrap their head around it as well because they keep talking to you about a why. Why are you doing this? Mm. And Simon Sinek is right. It's all about the why. You need to market your why. But is our why not because we're passionate about our sport and we want people to be involved in our sport? When we tie our why to for safety, it makes parents feel guilty if they're not doing swimming lessons. And then as soon as they do get some basic level skills, they go, well, I don't need to feel guilty anymore, so I'm just going to pull you out. Mm. So I think if if we can change our marketing to, and, and we, we talked about it before, if we can change our marketing to come from a place of look at all of these amazing things now that you can, you can do, now that you can swim, how awesome is that? Did you know that underwater rugby is a sport? Underwater hockey is a sport. Water polo is a sport you know what, you play soccer, have you tried playing water polo? Like there are all of these amazing things that people can do once they've learnt to swim. Yet 
all of our marketing focuses on the drowning rates. You know, we want to keep our kids safe. And I'm not saying that that's not important because it is. It really is important. But it is not the only reason we are in the industry. And some marketing professionals I've spoken to are like, well, it's about your why. How many kids are you going to save? And I'm like, I've just told you I don't want to come at this from a fear space. I want to come at this from the other side, from the positive space. And they keep going, well, why? I'm like, well, why not? Swimming is amazing. Let's find Let's find our joy and our passion for aquatics. If is it Marie Kondo who's got the, yes. the, the joy of organizing stuff and cleaning? Yes, yes. Like why can't you do that for swimming and aquatics? Why does it have to be fear-based all the time? It yes. doesn't. And I think once we make that switch, we will start to find people will stay in the industry for longer swimmers will stay in the industry for longer swimmers will cross into competition swimming we just need to change the way we market and we need to change the people we recruit into our industry so it's not just competition swimming that's going to benefit from it it's all of those other aquatic sports synchronized swimming diving water polo all of those other sports are going to gain traction by us changing the way we market our swim school, by us bringing in people who are passionate about aquatics, not just as a part-time job while I'm at school. Yeah. Yeah. Man, mic drop. We love it. You just blow my <laughs> You've just put into words exactly what I have been thinking for the last two or three years. And I think that's something that's become apparent, you know, especially you know, over this time of lockdown and how we can look at it differently. And that's something I always thought of was, you know, if we can't teach them, how do we do it differently? How do we build that interest? What we're doing is working to a, a point. And I think that's what exactly what you said, going from that fear-based marketing, people are getting to that level of, okay, well, you've told me that I need to teach my kid to learn to swim because they'll drown. Now they can swim to a certain distance. I'm questioning, why should I go on? And then everyone started bringing, oh, we've got to teach them to be able to do a K or two Ks. And then, you know, they're physically able and how to do it. But, you know, some kids don't want to be able to do Some want to be able to do something else. Um, Like my kids have decided they want to do water polo. And you know what? They have to do swimming training to be decent at water polo. But... You know, like at our swim school, the top end, we actually taught skills in water polo. We taught how to dribble the ball, how to throw the ball, how to catch with one hand. We did stuff for underwater hockey. I was just in the process, if we stayed open for another 12 months, I was going to go out and buy a heap of snorkels. This is what it feels like when you can't blow bubbles out your nose. Yes. This is how you use a snorkel. This is how you swim with a snorkel. You know what? You don't have to turn your head. How many adults, I'm one of them, you put a snorkel on and you automatically go to turn your head to breathe and you suck in all the water. Me you too. Know, like... <laughs> it takes me ages to get used to actually going, yeah, not, you know, like breathing in and out, holding that thing in my mouth. Yeah. So yeah, not open up. these are some of the other skills that I would love to see 
swim schools teach in their top levels or even in the in the lower levels just to show kids that not everything is about competition swimming there are so many options out there kids don't know what they don't know it's our job as an aquatic professional to show them to display the world and let them know that it's their oyster they can do whatever they want yeah 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 okay wow yeah you just and I knew there was a reason why we were friends. Uh, <laughs> I've been thinking about this for, I mean, we had the we had the swim school for about 10 years or close on 10 years and it was probably two years into it. I'm like, there's a better way to do this and I can't keep doing what we're doing. But I could never find someone that was able to help me in the way that I needed help to, yes. to actually start doing it. So, uh, you know, Yes, we've closed our swim school now, but I'm glad that there's someone else like yourself who's on the same page which says to me, the industry is on the verge of turning a corner and growing and expanding and becoming amazing and that I'm really happy about. Yeah, and there is that out there and I think there's a, you know, a few companies leading the way in that regards, but I think it becomes down to us as well. I think I've started to realise as much as I wanted to work for these big companies and it's a lesson I've had in the last couple of months of I keep pushing, you know, I'd like to, you know, I'll put it out there, I'd love to be able to work with Asta and I'm luckily getting a bit of that chance as a part-time and I think that's absolutely fantastic. But I'm starting to realise that I think I might have more benefit doing it myself, but it's shit scary to go and do the ideas and I'm really creative I have these so many ideas and then you know I'll work on it a little bit and then I have another idea and I want to expand on that and I need someone behind me and it's like to actually just go okay we've got to finish this we're going to finish that yes to focus on get that one out you're like me yeah (laughs) you're an ideas woman yes ideas woman to make that step, it actually scares me. And I think, do I want to throw myself in and do it by myself and develop it? I see that it could be great, but what if it all goes wrong? And I think what if game is dangerous. Dangerous. And, and I'm that comes to it now. Back just to that self-confidence. You know, yes. what if staff was chasing me and everything starts to fall apart? You've got to stay away from the what if and you've got to go with I'm good. I got this. I'm going to do it. Yeah. If we continue to do things the way we've always done them, nothing ever changes. And when we want change, we have to do things differently. So that is where the black sheep start to shine because and it's, it's just about finding enough black sheep yeah. and gathering them around you so that you feel like you've got the support and confidence moving forward. I didn't find the right black sheep to help me when I needed it, but I'm I'm glad that there are people that are starting to get on board the things that I've been saying for a long time and can actually push them forward. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think to have you as the pioneer and the, I suppose, the change maker and the throwing the other ideas out there, we can't do everything ourselves, but... We can, you know, maybe offer those ideas or a way of, and for me, the articulating it is the big barrier for me. How do I articulate it? And I did a, a thing, uh, and sports mentoring, woman in sports mentoring with Carol Fox, 
the other week and she said, oh, when you get passionate, can you hear it in your voice? You go up and you go high pitched and you go very fast and you want to tell everyone everything. But she said, the voice of wisdom is slow, deep and calm. And she said, you go the opposite when you get passionate and you have so much to be able to share, but you scare people off when you get that high intensity. And I think it's interesting to be able to take that step back. And a lot of it, I've been sitting here listening to you going, that's that's what I think. She just said it. How do I say it like that? I think, yeah, thank you for that, to be able to share. And, and like you said, you've been in that in the industry and you've been trying to share it for a while. I think we need that change maker and that person to start the ball rolling. Yeah, that's you. It was you. That's what I meant. It was you. And you're just inspiring me to keep it going. Good, good. <laughs> oh, God. This could be interesting. Oh, yeah, it will be. It'll be really interesting to see where the industry goes over the next 10 years. Yeah. I think, I think it's about to turn a really good corner. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens for it. Yeah, it's right for the changing. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that mic drop and on my own personal development, <laughs> thank <laughs> everyone who's listening for coming on the journey. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> I want to say thank you so much, Joy. Again, you've really rated a lot and you've expanded on the industry and shown us a different point of view. But it's also intertwined with, I think, and you know, the same point of view, it's just looking at the picture a different way. And I think that's fantastic. You have so much knowledge. Hopefully we can, you know, tap into that a bit more and not use you is what's a better word for that. But, you know, okay. <laughs> consult, use your consulting. <laughs> I'll work something out a better way and putting it for you. But I think it just, yeah, to be able to bring what you understand and your knowledge and your, you've gone through to the forefront would make and build a better industry as we go on. And I can't wait to see how you personally develop and what life brings you and your self-confidence and you found self-confidence in your new journey of life and who you become. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really, thank you for having me. It's, yeah, it's been really lovely.